Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, good to see you. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tim, and I'm part of the team here. And if you're new to this whole thing, every Sunday we have people who are new who walk in here or log in online or listen to the podcast. What we're going to do right now is we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to look to some of God's truth. So just this morning on the way in here, actually, I was talking with somebody who was telling me about how their world as they know it is completely shaking right now. And they asked for prayer. And one of the things that we were talking about in those brief moments that we had together is that when your world is shaking, the best thing that you can do is anchor yourself on what will never be shaken. And when we jump into the Bible, that's what we're doing. We're going to talk for a few minutes about this truth of God that we can anchor ourselves into. And so I don't know about you, Um, But I have some storms in my life, and uh, I'm sure you have some storms in your life. If you're one of the fortunate ones right now that don't have a storm, um, it's coming. (laughs) Just want to encourage you this morning. I want to give you some hope. It's coming. It's coming. And so you can tuck this little truth away that we're going to talk about today for the next storm in your life. And so I'm so excited to be opening the Bible with you today. I'm so excited about this. And so um, how many of you have ever done something in your life that you have instantly regretted? Instantly, yes. Yes, you've instantly regretted. Uh, can, I, can I tell you about, about the time that I almost took out a bunch of, of women and children? Can I, can I, can I tell you about that time? I instantly regretted this. So, so this, I don't think this is going to surprise you at all. Um, growing up, sports was like, 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 the, like the, the center of my life, right? That doesn't surprise you. I know it doesn't. And um, uh, sports was like, the, it was like, it was like everything I did, I played competitive sports. I was like one of those kids. Um, soccer was kind of my main thing, and I played that in high school and in college, and um, and so in the middle of um, college, I was, I was super, super competitive. Now, I'm not so much like that anymore, I think, in, in, in my, my, you know, my years. As my years go on, I'm not quite as competitive. In fact, two, um, you know, we just finished our second block party, summer block party. If you weren't there, you need to be at the next one. There was like almost 100 people there. We had to go buy more burgers and, you know, we had, it was amazing. It was so much fun. We have one more left this summer. And so if you haven't made one yet, you need to come to this last one. The date will come out soon. But, you know, I was just telling somebody, you know, we had about 30 people playing knockout, you know, this basketball game. And um, I was just telling somebody right after I won, um, I was telling somebody, I'm not, I, you know, the competitive side of me just doesn't, it's not quite as intense as it once was. And, um, you know, I mean, it took a lot out of me to, to you know, to beat 30 other people. Um, almost all of them were younger than me, in fact. And, um, 
But, you know, but, you know, it is what it is. But back then, back in college, I was super competitive. And, um, and, and the worst formula for a very competitive person who's trying to follow Jesus with their life is to play on a church softball team. Right? Because you don't, you don't, you don't really learn how to curse like properly until you play on a church softball team because that's a whole nother thing. Um, don't, no cursing is not good. Um, kids and so but I was playing on a church softball team and um, you, you know how hard it is to strike out playing slow pitch church softball if you don't know it's very very hard very hard to strike out I mean the ball is like coming at you like in slow motion and if you have any basic coordination your the bat is going to hit the ball right and so but uh, at this point, I had two strikes on me because I had hit monster foul balls, you guys. And, um, and, I, and, the, and the, the, the pitch comes at me. It's like going about, you know, 0.5 miles an hour. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, oh, I'm salivating. It's coming at me. I'm like, I'm picturing the whole thing, how it's all going to go down. And I swing as hard as I can, and I miss it. Oh, I was so embarrassed. And I had this aluminum bat. And right behind me was a backstop, like a, like a big backstop, right? And then if you know, like baseball backstops, it like drops off and then goes over like the, the dugout, right? And right behind where it drops off, there was a, there's a bleach, a set of bleachers, right? Full, full set of bleachers. So I'm super mad because I struck out. I'm embarrassed. My ego is taking a hit, you know, and I take the bat and I just flick it behind me against the backstop, right? Just flick it behind me. This was what I intended to do. And I flicked it behind me, and somehow the thing went over the top of the fence, over the heads of the women and children and other dudes. There were dudes there too, you know. But all the people were sitting there, it went over their heads, and there was this moment where as slow as the pitch seemed to be coming to me, the bat seemed to be moving slower. And I'm watching it just like go like this over the head, barely clearing the heads of people. It was a devastating moment. I, my heart was just like, oh, no. And I turned and I had to say in front of like to a whole bleacher full of people, I had to turn and stand in front of them and say the 10 most difficult words in the human language. I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Right? And thankfully, nobody got hurt. It was a moment of time that I learned from. How many of you have ever done something that you just instantly regretted? Like, you just, and, and it was wrong. And it was, and you're just, you have to just simply step into that moment. You can run and hide, or you have to, like, address it. But we've all been in this place where we've had wrong things in our lives. Things that we've done wrong. The good news today for us is that as we explore the life of David, King David, we're going to explore what does it look like for God to right the wrongs? What does it look like for God to do what only he can do? You know the places in your life like, like okay, so I can accidentally, in anger, flick a bat and it goes over somebody's head. 
and I can apologize for that. I, in, I very much did not intentionally desire to like hit, you, hit your head with a bat. How many of you, though, have had times in your life, don't raise your hands, where you have very intentionally done some very bad things, right? Like, 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 you, like there, are, there are times in our lives where we just make horrible, horrible choices, and we know every step of the way the choice that we're making, but we just decide to do it anyway. Or we know we're in a progressive sort of gradual slide toward the direction of a poor choice, but we never stop the slide because we're just enjoying the slide just a little too much, right? We've all been there in this place. Today, we're going to look at how God writes the wrongs through the life of King David. Now, this shouldn't surprise any of you who have been around the Bible. If you've been around God, the Christian faith, this shouldn't surprise you that God is in the business of writing the wrongs. In fact, he's still in the business of writing the wrongs. Right? I hope that encourages you here today. It shouldn't surprise us. So when we open the Bible, here's what we find. In the opening pages of the Bible, Genesis, if you're not familiar, we see God creating the heavens and the earth. He creates humanity. And um, humanity's representatives at that time are a couple named Adam and Eve. And God gives them free will. He gives them a choice. And he says, I want you to choose me. And um, eventually they decide not to choose God. They wanted to be on the same level as God. And so they chose themselves over God. They rebelled against God. Um, in church lingo, we call that sin. They chose their way over God's way, right? And because God is a just God, he says, okay, here's what's going to happen now that you've done this. There are consequences to the choices that you make. And here's what they are. And he starts listing them out. But right in the middle of the consequences, he plants a seed of hope. And what it is, is it's a little seed that God is planting right in the middle of the worst point, arguably, in all of human history. Right in the middle of that horrible place, God plants a seed. And he says this, speaking of Jesus... He says, Jesus will come along one day and his heel will crush the head of the enemy. Right in the middle of the very first horrific wrong that was ever, you know, recorded in human history, God says, I have a plan for righting the wrong. And that was for all of humanity. Now think about your life. Think about the wrong that has happened in your life. Maybe the place in your life that nobody in this room knows about, but you've made horrible choices in that area. If God could put into place a plan to right the wrong for all of humanity, imagine what he'll do in your, in your place, in the place where you've made decisions. Now go all the way to the end of the Bible. The very last book of the Bible, we call it Revelation. It's the last letter of the Bible. And in the very last pages of the Bible, what do we see? We see God righting the wrongs. Jesus comes back. He's with his church. He defeats the enemy once and for all. He restores a new heaven and a new earth. And we live with Jesus for eternity. He rights the wrong. 
This is what God does. And so all throughout the pages of the Bible, from beginning to end, God is righting the wrongs. And so today, we get to open up the Bible, and we get to look at the story of David, and David is going to teach us that God is righting the wrongs, and here's how he's righting the wrongs, and here's what you can do to see God right the wrongs in your life. Are you ready? All right, let's go. Let's go, he says. All right, here we go. 2 Samuel 24 is where we're going to be, and you're going to see these verses up on the screen, and we're going to walk through these things together, but here's what you need to know as we head into this story in the life of David. As we head into 2 Samuel 24, David is in a place in his life where he has once again made a horrible choice. And if you've been with us over the last like five weeks, maybe it's been five weeks, um, you've heard about some of the horrible choices that, that King David has made. In fact, last Sunday, it was, it was one of the most, I don't know if you noticed, Chris kind of trying to as sensitively as he could walk through some of the darkest parts of David's story. Uh, brutal, brutal. And, um, and here goes David again, and he's about ready. He's, he's made another bad choice, and now he's in another place where God has to sort of come in and right the wrong. There's two things we've been learning about David, right? Two themes in his life. One theme is that David is fully human in his failures, right? If you've been with us the last five weeks, you've, you've seen this vividly, like front and center. David's fully human in his failures, right? But the flip side of David is that he's fully committed to going to God in his failures, right? And every time he does that, God is always faithful to right the wrongs. This is why we love David so much. He's so human that we can relate to his life, even though he's a king, right? Uh, we can relate to David on a, like a, on a personal, um, emotional level. And then we can learn from David as he recovers from the choices that he's made. And here's the latest bad choice that David makes. You ready for this one? How many of you, uh, you're, have, have you ever been like with your kids or been around kids who have played Would You Rather? Have you ever heard? Have you ever seen the kids play this game? Would you rather, right? If you've never, if you've never seen kids play this game, it's like, would you rather? And it's two horrible choices, right? Like, would you rather have your eye poked out or fall off the top of a roller coaster? You know, and so as Sav says, Pastor Sav says, I poked out. Yeah, let's take a poll. How many I poked out? How many of you are with Sav? Fall off, you know, yeah. <laughs> Because you might die coming off, falling off of a roller coaster, right? But at least your eye poked out. You still have one good eye, hopefully, and you can live and have one good eye, right? <laughs> this is the logic. So this happens in the Bible. This happens in the Bible. Watch this. God says to David, don't count the armies. It's very, very like direct about it. Don't count the armies. David decides to count the armies one day. He's in a weak place. He's tempted of the enemy. The Bible says in another, in another section of the Bible, we're told that he's tempted of the enemy and he, he makes a bad, bad, bad choice. He does exactly what God has asked him not to do. How many of you have ever directly broken a command of God 
in your life, right? Uh, we all have. And so David's in this place, and he counts the army. And so God sends a prophet to him named Ged. And Ged says, okay, David, we're going we're gonna to play Would You Rather. Um, now, having said it like that in a joking manner, it's just going to get serious very, very quickly. Um, Gad says, God's giving you three choices. You choose. For three years, you can be in famine. For three months, you can run from your for your life from your enemies. Or for three days, you can have a plague come on the people. So what would you do? Would you rather? What, what would you do? David, David wisely chooses three days. Wisely. Why? Because three days, three years of famine, that's tough, and people are going to die. But guess who probably lives? The king and his household, huh? The last people in the country to die are going to be the king and his household, right? He's, he's got some resources. He's a little bit privileged in this situation. He's going to make it, right? Um, three months of running from his enemies puts the entire nation and all of the people of God in a place where the enemies of God get to gloat, get to hold it over the, the people of Israel. And all of a sudden, God is taken down a notch as far as human, human you know, view is concerned. David doesn't want to run from his enemies and give the enemies of God a chance to hold something over him. And he says, okay, well, three years of plague means that the, the ground is level. And we just experienced this in the last few years, haven't we? Whether it's the king's palace or it's out on the street. If a, if a, if a pandemic is sweeping the world, it's going to sweep the world. And it's going to go where it goes, no matter who you are. Right? And so David says, okay, um, three days. And so God says, okay, I accept that decision. And in three, uh, close to three days, at this point where we pick up the story, 70,000 people have died. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where other people have had to pay the price for your choice. It's tough. It's a tough place to be in. I've been there. Right? I, I would, I mean, take it out of me. I, I, will, I will do anything. I will own everything. I will bear the burden of any decision. But you start putting people who I know and who I love in the place of harm because I've made a poor decision. Oh, that is heartbreaking. Like that is so much harder than the actual thing that's happening, right? This is where David is. And this is where we pick up the story. Second Samuel 24 verse 17 says this, when David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I have sinned. Here's our first step in seeing God right the wrongs. When David saw what was happening, he had a moment of decision. Do I ignore it? 
Do I deny it's not happening? Some of us are experts at ignoring stuff that is happening around us. Stuff that we have to address. We're experts at annoying the hurts and the, the fears and the anger. And we're experts at pushing stuff down in our lives. So how many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you, when, when trauma happens in your life, you don't go to a therapist and talk to them. You don't go talk to mentors and trusted wise people in your life. You don't open your Bible, turn to God. You don't do those healthy things. Instead, you pretend like it's not happening or like it never happened. And you push it down and you say, well, if I just don't address it, if I just don't talk about it, if I don't just voice it, if I don't just bring it out into the open, maybe eventually it will just go away. How's that working out for you? Right? That never comes out well. That never ends well. Never, ever does it end well. And yet we keep doing it. We keep pushing stuff down like, like we're never going to eventually fill up with bad stuff and it's going to come spewing out of us. And, and oftentimes in the unlikeliest, unreasonable places. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I've never experienced this myself. But how many of you have ever had your spouse do something simple, normal, and your response was way over the top? Like, like they said or did something that would have, should have been an easy, like brush off or, you know, whatever. But your response was like they just hauled off and, and just, you know, hit you in the head with a two by four or something, right? Like, like you're just like, you're like all of a sudden, and, you, and, and if you're ever on the receiving end of that, and you look at the person in, across, and you're like, where did that come? What? That does not match the, the thing that we were, uh, the conversation we were having. Like, where did that come from? That came from years maybe of stuffing things under the surface, hoping that you would just bury them for good. And you know what happens when you stuff things below the surface? They never get buried, they grow. So your emotions, your feelings, all those things, those are alive, they're living. And so when you push them under the surface, all you do is giving them ground to grow. And eventually those are going to push up into your life and it's not going to be good. David went to God first. For some of you here today, the number one thing you need to hear is that in the place where you have a wrong in your life, you need to go to God first. Don't try to figure it out on your own. Don't try to come up with a solution that you think is going to work brilliantly. Go to God first. This is what David did. When David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, he went to God first, I have sinned. I, the shepherd, the leader of the people, have done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall on me and my family. You know what David did this next step? Because going to God is one thing. Going to God first is one thing. But how you go to God 
is so important. He owned his part in this, which was pretty much all of it, right? In this case, let's be honest. David, this was all David right here. I had a mentor uh, one time who told me, Tim, in every situation of conflict, of tension, of uh, where there's a wrong taking place or that has taken place, you need to ask yourself this question first. What is my 1%? It's a good question to ask. What role do I have in this? So, so, so my, my spouse, you know, hauls off and like responds way over the top from, from what the situation is. I could get offended and be like, what the heck? All I did was ask, you know, what are we doing for dinner? You know, like I didn't deserve that. What's my 1%? Well, maybe my spouse is acting like that because she's already said about 10 times, hey, what do you, what do you, what do you want to do for dinner? What are you thinking about dinner? And I've been scrolling my phone and I'd be like, oh, I don't know. And then when I'm good and ready, I put down my phone and want to talk about, oh, let's, let's start to make some plans. I've been trying to talk with you about that for the last hour. Now it's getting late and I don't want, you know, the response is tied back to me. What is my part? David steps before God and he says, I have sinned. I've done this thing. Maybe for some of you here today, this is the area of this process that you need to really grab a hold of. You've been denying your part. You've been refusing to acknowledge the fact that you have a role Maybe it's a minor role, 1%. Maybe it's like David and it's all you. And today is your come to Jesus moment. David owned it. The reason why David could make horrific choices but be known all throughout time as a man after God's own heart is because of what we just read. He was always willing to own it. I was wrong. I did this thing. Now watch this. On that day then, Gad went to David, this is the prophet, remember, and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through God. So here's the next thing that David did. Are you following the progress? He went to God first. He owned his part in it. And then he listened and obeyed what God told him to do. Now, maybe for some of you here today, this is the part of the process that you're struggling with. Maybe you know exactly what needs to be done. Maybe God has clearly revealed to you what needs to be done in this situation, but you refuse to do it. David decided to follow God's lead. So he goes up, and here's what it says. When Aruna looked at him uh, and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. It's a good thing to do if you ever are in that situation, by the way. So Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the lord so that this plague on the people may be stopped. 
Aruna said to King David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for wood. Your majesty, Aruna, gives all this to the king. And he went on to say, may the Lord your God accept you. This was super generous, wasn't it? If you're not familiar, like if you can't quite pick up on, on what's happening here, this is Aruna's livelihood. This is how he makes his money. This is how he survives. But this is how bad the situation was, and this is how important the person standing in front of him was. That he said, take it all. Super generous, right? Now watch what King David does. Verse 24, but the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. Here's the next thing that King David did. After obeying God's leading and following his voice, David embraced the cost. See, if Aruna had offered all that stuff and David had said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Thank you so much. That's so generous. I'll gladly accept your, your offer. And he offered up the sacrifice. Guess whose sacrifice that would be? Aruna's. Not David's. It was David's sacrifice to make. Listen, you can't pawn off on other people the cost of making things right in your life. You, you can't ask your mom to, to go talk to your, you know, your brother and say, hey, could you, could you kind of just, just let him know that, you know, I'm sorry that I said that and I'll, I'll try coming around or I'll, you know, do this or this. No. That's not your mom's conversation to have with your brother. That's your conversation to have with your brother. If you have a spouse, it's the same thing, Right? Because we can do this in like super slick, like, like spiritual ways too, right? Like, like, like I can forward a worship song to Nicole and be like, hey, oh, check this out. This song just really spoke to me. And it's really speaking to what I want God to speak to her about. <laughs> I'm the only one that does that. You're like, Tim, that's horrible. <laughs> yes, it is. I know what David's going through here. Listen, we have to embrace the cost. We have to do it. Right? I had a, a family member recently who, who I've been distant from, right? And, and, and a couple of weeks ago, my kids were like, we're sitting around just like chilling in the living room. And my kids are like, whatever happened to that relationship? Why is it like that? And I was like, I don't know just happened. It was just one of those things, right? Like there wasn't any kind of like conflict. There wasn't any kind of like big thing that happened, but it just happened. And we just turned around one day and there's distance now between us that there shouldn't be. And my kids, what they were saying to me was, dad, what are you doing? Like, why aren't the adults working this out? 
and like sitting down and talking about it and like figuring out like what, why, why is there distance and all of that like shouldn't you as a mature person like be doing that that seems healthy to do why are you not doing that at least that's what i heard in my mind and so i i reached out i got up from the living room i went into my bedroom i texted and said hey let's let's have family dinner this sunday what do you think oh that's great come over have family dinner and before they leave, we say, hey, why don't we do this, uh, what do you think, once a month? Let's do this once a month. Let's do it at your house next time. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, let's do that. Right? Like, like, we have to embrace the cause. I had to step into that situation and just be like, I don't know why this is, but it is. And it's my job to help make it right. And so you know what? Let's go. Let's make it right. Where is the place in your life where you are refusing to embrace the cost? Because it costs you something. You have to pick up the phone and say, I don't know why there's distance between us. I'm sorry. I, I want to be in relationship with you. Let's go. Let's go. What do we need to do? Come on. Or maybe you're on the, the other end of the spectrum where you know exactly why there's distance. And it's either your fault or it's their fault. But somebody's got to step up and embrace the cost to help right the wrong. Now, only God can give us the strength to do that. And this is what he's doing here. In fact, Romans 12 says it like this. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We are called to be living sacrifices in our lives, which means that we embrace the cost. And it shouldn't surprise you. If you're a follower of Jesus here, that shouldn't surprise you. You know why? Because Jesus himself taught us, if you're going to follow me, here's what you do. Deny yourself, your will. Put it on the cross, your will, every day, and then follow my will. This is what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, if you're here today and you've never heard this, you're exploring this, you're checking it out, you're watching online, you're listening to the podcast, and you're new to all of this, we do a disservice to you if we don't tell you the full story. Following Jesus is more than just receiving his amazing love, and it is amazing. It is receiving his love and in response, laying down our wills and taking up his because here's what we know. His will is better. It's better. And so it does require you to do something. It does require sacrifice from you to follow Jesus. But what we get in return is so much better than what we get if we just do it our own way. Oh, my goodness, you guys, listen, we, we, we need to keep going. So here's what happens then. Verse 25, David built an altar to the Lord there. He sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Those are two very different things. Burnt offerings were, were offered for sin. Fellowship offerings were offered to restore relationship with God. He said, like, God, I want to take care of my sin, and I want to get back in right relationship with you. Watch this. Then the Lord answered his prayer on behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. The end result 
of David going through this process was that God moved. He received God's grace, God's forgiveness, and God's redemption. This is what waits on the other side of us allowing God to right the wrongs. In fact, this is our big idea of truth today. You're going to see it up on the screen. Waiting on the other side of God righting the wrongs is his grace, his forgiveness, and his restoration. But you have to make the choice. Now watch this. The threshing floor of Aruna. Remember, David bought it. It was his. Watch this. That site would become the ground that Solomon's temple would be built on. Those hills that that property sat on would be the same hills Jesus would be put to death on a cross on. In the place where David needed God to right the wrong, where David went to God first, where he owned his part, right? where he embraced the cost of what, it, of what it meant to make it right. And the place where he received God's forgiveness and mercy and restoration, in that place, for generations to come, people would worship God through Solomon's temple, and ultimately they would find a restored relationship with God through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus on that land. What will God do on the land where you need to see him make wrong, make right the wrongs? And you're like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if, I wanna, if I'm willing to pay the cost. I don't know if I'm, if I'm on that land where you need to see God right the wrongs. Imagine what he will do for generations to come. You know, in my life, in the story that I shared with you, my kids needed to see me step up to the plate and do what healthy adult people do, right? Watch God right the wrong in that relationship that wasn't caused by any great thing, it was just distance. We saw that happen. Guess what's gonna happen in my kids' lives? For generations, this next generation of my family is going to say, I don't want to see that happen in my life, but when it does and I feel distant from someone in my family who I used to be close to, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to ask God to help me right that wrong. We now have given them something that they will take and hopefully will pass on to their children and to their children and to their children. This is what healthy, normal people like us do. Where is it in your life that you need to see God right the wrong? Imagine what he'll do in the generations to come as you do that. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers. 
donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.